Welcome to the Wood, guys. The Wood Podcast is about that feeling you get in business and life where you have no fear, no doubt, you can't fail. Welcome, guys, to the Wood Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Wood, episode nine. Okay, we are here with Randy Hetherington, or as otherwise known by his friend as friends as Rowdy. Hi, and thank you so much for being on the episode. That's a pleasure. Uh, I have wanted to interview you for a long time, and your son is sitting uh, 20 feet behind me, and he knows that for months I've asked him, hey, do you think uh, your father would do this? Hey, do you think your father would do this? And I think I was too much of a chicken to ask you. (laughs) That doesn't uh, sound right. I don't think you've been chicken about anything. Uh, well, um, as, I've a, as, as I've mentioned, I, I do have some nerves, but, uh, I believe that, uh, through the episode we've learned, uh, about this, what this podcast is about is turning those weaknesses into strengths. And we've heard brilliant answers from successful people. Uh, but you're a different kind of guest than we usually have. So I'd like you to kind of introduce yourself and who you are, and how we know each other. Um, I'm a retired airline pilot. Uh, I started out in the Air Force and uh, flew for eight years in the Air Force, had uh, two tours in Vietnam, came back and uh, flew as an instructor pilot and then as an F-15 pilot, and then went to work for commercial airlines. I uh, flew with Air Florida, got furloughed from them, uh, went to work with U.S. Air and then finished my career out with them. After I uh, retired, I uh, took up brewing beer, raising bees, <laughs> chasing lobsters, and fishing. Which we did today, by the way. Absolutely. We chased some lobsters. We chased them. We didn't catch them. We didn't catch them, uh, but we chased them. Uh, and, and, and this is kind of, I'm gonna, I always introduce what this podcast is about. Uh, this podcast is called the Woog Podcast, and I explained it to you uh, in basic form. Right. But really, what the Woog is is a zone that successful people get in when they just can't lose. Right. There's no doubt they're gonna succeed whatever their mission is. And I'm not using military terms it, to right. compare myself to your no, military no, background. I yeah. promise you. Uh, but you just won't lose. It is success or nothing. Okay. So that's what the WUG is. Uh, and I've had the joy of having this project where I have full creative control. Cause as you know, I was, I mean, advertising, right? So they tell me what to do at the end of the day. Uh, so I love the fact that the only person that tells me what to do is Camilla, who we've introduced a million times. Uh, but I'd love Camilla to get in the shot again. Come on, Camilla. I don't know. Just get in the shot. Just a little say face, hello. A little FaceTime. Yeah, there. yeah. <laughs> uh, Camilla has always been just fantastic as a creative control person. Uh, so, what I figured out as I was prepping for this interview, um, as anyone who knows me knows that I prep for everything, is why I've been so curious to interview you I yeah. just yeah me too yeah I, I I really didn't know but I knew I wanted to do it I just didn't know why I figured it out a short while ago 
Um, I've, I've been best friends with your son for a long time. Absolutely. And he and I have had many conversations about our fathers, right? Mm -hmm. My father is very stoic. He has an amazing presence. He's my goddamn hero. Love him more than anything. But I don't think I really understand him at all. I don't get him. Uh, so I think why I've wanted to find out more about you is the, the difference between the generations. You know, uh, your generation, being a father meant something different than it does now. And I'm a father of two amazing boys uh, that I'd step in front of a bus for in a second. Uh, I'd love to know your opinion on the difference between being a father uh, in your generation and mine. Uh, it's my feeling that technology has kind of outstripped our humanity. And by that I mean we're paying more attention to the world around us, which is rapidly evolving technologically, but our humanity seems to be suffering. We're, we're not as giving and as forgiving as uh, I think my generation and a generation before that is now because we don't have the interaction in the amount and quantity that my generation and a generation before me and them did because they didn't have the technology, the distractions of the iPhone, being able to stream anything you want, uh, YouTube movies that you could spend three weeks watching them and uh, binge watching TV. You get a lot of uh, lack of, I think, social interaction. And that kind of, it doesn't uh, make you a worse father or uh, an incapable father, but uh, maybe we're not giving our children as much time as a current fathers do because they have so much other things competing for their time. And that may be the reason that there is, I think, not the same forte, force that a father goes with with his children now. You know, uh, I'm on episode nine of this project. And uh, this is the second time that somebody has kind of left me at a loss for words. And you've known me since I was 20. I'm 35 now. Right. So that's 15 years. Yeah. So uh, you're pretty sure that uh, I'm not really ever at a loss for words. <laughs> that's well, true. One of the things that my children complain about is that I'm always on, on. I'm on my phone. I'm working. I'm 24-7. And when I say 24-7, I mean I don't really sleep. I'm, I'm always on, right? So your answer, I'll be honest with you, uh, because I have a ton of respect for you and your son can verify that, is that it kind of hurt a little bit. But I guess the truth kind of hurts, you know? Uh, you know, yes. Our children today don't get what maybe before the technological revolution. Is that even the right word, Camilla? I'm a little shook at the moment. <laughs> revolution? Would it be revolution or would it be something else? Whatever. Technology. Who cares? Yeah. The, um, the technology race. Right. Um, I've heard this a million times from people. 
that I need to put my phone down, I need to stop driving to be successful, and I need to pay more attention to my kids, right? My answer to that, which I put on film last week, was I want my kids to see a successful, driven, hardworking man, right? The counter-argument to that is that my kids should see me. Yeah. Okay. So now before I choke up and jump into this canal, (laughs) uh, (laughs) let's talk about you. Because uh, the first things I heard about you was that basically you were an Air Force pilot. Uh, uh, Basically, your son adores you. And uh, you pretty much, uh, you know, were a badass. And uh, I was made aware of your distinguished flying cross. I got that right? Yes. Yes. Good. Practiced it about 20 times inside <laughs> before. I, uh, tell us about the, how, how, are you, how are you able to achieve that sort of award? What, what's the story behind that? Um, well, it, it started as an award, and it still is an award for uh, distinguishing yourself while flying in combat and there's multiple awards that you can achieve for gallantry in action and uh, like the Air Force Cross is the highest award that you can get in the Air Force and the Navy has a cross the Army has a Distinguished Service Medal but the next one below the Air Force Cross is a Silver Star and uh, that's for doing some really really stuff where a lot of people probably won't survive the mission that they got their silver star for. And then the next one is Distinguished Flying Cross. And that is, that, it separates you from the next award, which is an air medal, because it was a mission that you did something to distinguish yourself, whether it was to uh, put in an airstrike that uh, killed 150 trucks that were coming down the trail, uh, or a, a situation where you saved a fire base by putting in close air support for them. Uh, there's, uh, it goes on and on. The number of missions that we had, you could distinguish yourself. So, so it's kind of, of a cumulative award. It can be a cumulative award, in but most case? of the time, uh, they were called what we, we call single mission distinguished flying crosses. You got that particular award for one mission. Understood. And, um, and please feel free to say, jump in the canal, Chris, for asking this a question. Uh, how was yours uh, achieved? Um, I was uh, direct, sent one day down to an uh, Army um, forward location that uh, we still had Americans at the time in there. And uh, their base had come under attack from a 50, uh, 51 uh, millimeter, we call them 51 cals, but a machine gun, and one of the guys had been... Big gun. Yeah, it's like a 50 cal gun. And one of the guys had been wounded, and they were attempting to helivac uh, him out so he could get medical attention. But they couldn't because the gun was keeping him pinned down. So I came in, and I couldn't find the base because of the cloud cover. And uh, we didn't have fancy radars so that you can uh, f- fly through the clouds and not hit the ground. So we had to go find a way to do it. I found a valley that I could fly up and then got in and found it. But we only had about 600, 700 feet 
of uh, clearance between the clouds and the ground. And um, I said, okay, where's the gun? And, and they, they talked me into it. I couldn't see it. So I said, okay, uh, act like you're going to lift off. I wanna, I'm going to need to see the muzzle flashes because this was all canopy jungle. And so they did. They faked Okay, the so can you, like, explain that a little bit more, canopy jungle? Like, so basically you can't see anything. You can't see anything. It's like right. a rainforest. Right. You know, you, you can look down. I, I, I just want anybody listening to, actu- to know what, what happened. What it was. Yeah, yeah. what it was. And uh, so anyway, uh, they did that. The guy took a shot at him, and I saw the muzzle flash. So now I knew where he was, so I could actually call in some air support and try to blow him up, neutralize the gun. And I got a flight of A7s in, and they had the same what, trouble. What's an A7? A7 is a, a, a fighter bomber. They they really just uh, it was an attack aircraft, and they carried Mark 82s, which are 500-pound bombs. bombs. And they had a lot of playtime, and they, they flew... As a jet, they flew fast, but they weren't, you know, flying supersonic out there. And they, and they could work in, they could slow down and come in and find the, the, the base that I was talking to them. So I talked them in the way that I came in. They found the valley and came up it, and then we rendezvoused up there. And it was pretty tight because, like I said, we only had 600 feet, you know, between us and the ground. And which, uh, are you allowed to say where you were? Yeah, we were just, uh, well, it was about 60 clicks south of Da Nang, and the click is a kilometer. Yeah, yeah, I I wasn't going to ask because... Uh, <laughs> what does a click mean? What does a click mean? Yeah. I, I knew what a click meant, but, you know, I wasn't going to clarify that for everybody because right. who cares? I want to hear your story. Right. So um, we got, when they got here, I briefed them on the target, told them what we were doing, showed them where the friendlies were, and then said, okay, here's what we're going to do because it's you're going to have to go low angle with this. I want to make then them low think angle means that you your dive angle is very reduced. Normally they'll dive at a forty five degree angle to to bomb to bomb. Okay, okay, but you can't do that when you only got six hundred feet. So you're going to basically come in on the deck fifteen degree, even, like that. even less. Yeah, because you don't got have it. any room. So you're going to be coming in. Too bad they didn't have uh, nape or daisy cutters, and we could have dropped them level. I don't know what nape and daisy That's cutters. Nap- napalm. Okay, and understood. Da- and daisy cutters are uh, Mark 82s or even bigger bombs that have uh, the, the long Basically fuse. would have been better for the situation. Yeah, because it was okay. low angle. So I said, the 51 is live, and I'm sure he can you know, shoot at us very easily because we're going to be 500 feet you know, away from him if we go over this guy. So they said, okay, well, so what's the plan? So, okay, I want... There was two of them. It was a two-ship. I said, I want, we're going to have a fake. One guy's going to come in, act like he's going to bomb. They'll probably, the gunner, if he sees you, and he, I don't see why he wouldn't because it's, you know, backlit there, he's going to swing at you, and the other guy's going to come in with a sucker punch. So we, we coordinated that. Okay, so basically you pre- you were making a prediction on what the enemy was going to do. do. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we, we start, the lead said, okay, I'll fake him, and then two can drop. And I said, all right, stand by for my, my clearance. And what we used to, what we always said is once we determined that they weren't going to fly over the friendlies and make sure you know, that they weren't going to get hit, we would clear them hot. And so they would. They would and that meant time to go. Yeah, they cleared hot, you're cleared to expend your ordinance. That's, what, that's what that meant. Expend your ordinance means fire. Drop the bomb. Drop the bomb. And uh, so that worked. Uh, lead came in, 
uh, got pretty close, closer than I wanted him to, than he did, uh, you know, a sharp break away from the target. And what were you flying at the time? OV-10. What's an OV-10? It's a uh, lightly armed reconnaissance aircraft that uh, we use to go out and direct airstrikes from. And it was loaded with what we call Willy Peets, which means it's a white phosphorus rocket. Understand when you, it, when but not you, really understood. When you shot it, <laughs> when you shot it at the ground, it made a big puff of white smoke. Understood. So the fighters could see it. Ah, uh, okay. 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 And then, depending upon how good your rocket pass was, you would tell them where to hit in relation to your smoke. Like okay. said, fifty meters long, hundred meters short. If you get it right on, you said hit my smoke. Okay. So. uh my first response is going to be what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is that your son and I have grown up in a very different environment. Uh, and I believe that we're blessed, right? Um, and uh, listening to your story, I just can't believe that you at, how old are you? 23. Yeah. Yeah, um, you you uh you witnessed what we were doing out here at twenty three. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and it <laughs> well, wasn't. I did that too at twenty three. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay, great, yeah, yeah. great. Now I now I feel great. Yeah, yeah, good to go. <laughs> um, my second part of this is that's an amazing story. Um, I've never I've never heard you tell it before. I would never dare ask you. Uh, as you know, I don't even. Call, I don't call you by your nickname. I call you Mr. Hetherington. Uh, and uh, what I want to know is, at any point during this mission or other missions, did you experience a level of uh, mental, uh, gosh, a level of mental um, zone that you were so confident that your decisions were going to be successful there was no doubt in your mind whatsoever and what and have has it happened how long did it last and what was it like oh yeah it happened a lot um initially when we started training as a fact uh there was because you controlled the air war they couldn't the, the fighters couldn't expend their ordnance without your control you Got had it. to clear them hot right okay well, we also had to talk to the fighters. We had to talk to the ground commander. Then we had to talk to the people that were going to send us the air. Okay, so we had five radios on the uh, in the airplane. Most of the time, we were just using three. Okay, so you but you had to turn a wafer switch to change frequencies, and you really didn't have time to look down there and pick it. You had to know where it was by clicking it. One, one, two, three. Okay, can you explain that again? I, I okay. All right, so, so basically, we're talking to three people got essentially running one mission. Probably the ground commander, right? Okay, if we're putting in close air support like I was this day, right? Then there's there's uh, uh, Hillsboro was also a, a C-130, which is a airborne yeah airborne command and control <laughs> aircraft. And if you had a target and you wanted some air, then you would call them. Got it. And then when they got air, they would send them to you. And, th and there was three different frequencies that you just worked on there. Okay. Right. So you had to be talking to Hillsboro. 
Then when the fighters come in, you had to be talking to them. And then if there was a ground commander involved like this one, you had to be talking to him on, on Fox and this And this brought you into another level of operational you, it was, awareness. It was overwhelming when you first got started. Right. You know, because right. you had to be able to remember who was talking to you on which frequency. Right. Because all three of them, you could hear at the same time. Got it. And you had to be able to decipher what they said and which one was talking to you. All right. So, so basically, I've deciphered through this uh, interview that right. you are a badass of the WUG. Okay? <laughs> well, uh, you, you didn't start out that way, but... I, yeah. Um, so I want to know, uh, do you have a memory of where this this idea that this podcast is about was at its highest point for you in your life? Probably in combat. In combat? Right. Yeah. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. yeah that, that, was, uh, that was where you really had to get in the zone and stay in the zone. And uh, our missions were four to four and a half hours. So you had time in between airstrikes to where you could uh, write down your bomb, dam- bomb damage assessment mm-hmm. uh, and then take a, sh- a swig of water. And then you had to get right back in the fight. But the and some of the times that you didn't have that one because you were always being chased by, by the gunners. By somebody. The, guy, the guys on the ground had guns and they had big guns. So that's interesting to me because uh, um, I've theorized that that this zone lasts about two hours. And that's just based on my experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody knows that uh, this zone I have identified in me as a way to overcome nervousness and succeed, right? Uh, but you're saying that you think that you have been in that zone for four or five hours straight. I think there's several missions where we were probably in the zone, solidly in it, because it was nonstop action. With One of the missions we used to fly down in Cambodia was uh, to support the convoys that were coming up the Mekong River. And the... the uh, the problem was that the distance between where the uh, bad guys were and the ships was very close. So we had to put continuous airstrikes down the riverbanks to keep them from using rocket-propelled rocket grenades at the ships because the, they were, they'd blow the ship right out of the water. You know, Those things were uh, loaded with fuel and, and yeah. ammunition. And all sorts and of things. Food, everything, yeah. I wouldn't understand, right. but you would understand so, as bad so, things. Some of those yeah. missions you could put in. At one time, I put in 16 airstrikes in a three-hour mission. And that's a lot of work. I am going to now pivot, which is basically something we do a lot on this show. Good. Uh, today, uh, our idea was to go out and catch some lobster, Right. Uh, I'm in a great mood. You've agreed to be on this podcast. Camilla, being the champion that she is, agrees to drive down to Tavernier, Florida, which is just south of Key Largo, um, which is quite a sacrifice. Thank you, Camilla. You're the best. Uh, and uh, as as we're loading the boat, I'm in a goofy mood, which is not abnormal for me. Um, and then uh, you said something as we're loading the boat. And I knew we were no longer screwing around. <laughs> so my first question is, would you identify yourself as a leader? Yes. Absolutely. That would have been my first thing. Because I was sitting on that boat 
And all of a sudden, I got in a zone of back to being an athlete, back to being everything I was, and I did not want to fail you at all. And then I absolutely did. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't all your fault. That uh, no, no, that no, buoy no, no. that I conjured up. Yeah, was, I'd uh, never seen one before. No, uh-uh. right, right, right. Hopefully, you'll never have to use it again. But what's interesting is um, you, with your leadership uh, deportment and mentality and the aura, I was like, I'm going to make this up to this man. And I, I was on fire on that boat. Now I was like. I don't care what it is. I'm going to do something uh, positive. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I loved that about about today. And being well, being out on the water in Tavernier is just gorgeous. It's good every yeah. Right. But uh, just at the end, we're swiping by to grab your buoy MacGyver uh, thing that you made, and uh, uh, I pretty much would have gone into the into the ocean to grab that damn it, thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, and that made me feel better because I thought maybe I did something. Yeah. Right. You did. Cool. Yeah, you did. Right. Good job. But I think that that is also part of the work. Yeah. And what this podcast is about is being able to influence other people to get into that yeah. zone. I, I, t- I told my girlfriend who's right now taking, uh, behind the scenes photos, um, and looking beautiful doing it. Uh, she, uh, I told her, I said, I- I'm back in athlete zone and now, now I'm, I'm, I'm on the team. Yeah. Before that, I, I was just a, a guest, right? Yep. And, uh, I feel like there is multiple, uh, facets of, of this theory that I have that, uh, that people can go into this zone, influence other people positively. And maybe even teach them how to become that way. Because if I never realized that I could, I could get into this kind of zone, mm-hmm. we would never be sitting here. I would have never made it to college. I would have never been anything. Right. Right. So, uh, my question to you is as a leader, uh, what do you, what do you observe, um, in people when, you see that you've affected them. Uh, well, if it's a positive thing, you say, "Well, okay, I I, I I called the shots right on that particular guy or girl, you know, and I've I've done the, a positive thing for him. most of the time. It has been, but sometimes you you do something that you say, "Ah, eh, it wasn't quite right, but I think it's going to work out," you know. And you learn, and you become a better leader, and you become a better coach, a better father. Uh, better everything from experience how do you feel about failures you're going to have failures everybody's going to oh i i know that you know that's going to happen for everybody (laughs) when when you fail you got to figure out what went wrong why it went wrong and can you do something to keep it from happening again analyze the failure put things in place to Make sure it doesn't happen again. Exactly. And then I'm going to add something to it. Forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. Learn from it. Get on down the road. Short memory. Uh, In business, I've made so many mistakes that people uh, have laughed. It's laughable, right? Uh, The ability to put it behind you is absolutely pivotal. Correct. Right. Yep. Absolutely. 
Um, how much time do we have left, Camilla? Because I feel like two minutes. You didn't even give me the five minute? You did. So I was just staring at Mr. Hetherington. Yeah. So so now I can't tell my four-minute joke. Is that right? No, I want... I, hey, listen. We'll go over the time limit. I want, <laughs> I want the joke. <laughs> we we can't tell this joke on the air. The, this will be for yeah. afterwards. Right. Understood. Yeah. Um, is there anything... I always want my guests to plug uh, anything they're doing business-wise, anything they're doing uh, passion project. You got anything going on that you'd like to talk about? Um, no, I just I support all the veterans associations, the uh, the POWs, uh, wounded warriors, all of those associations. Uh, they they really need our help. The government is not doing what they promised to do for them, and it's a shame. And uh, you and I were watching sixty minutes last night together. Yes, we were. Yes, we were. Yeah. Um, uh, it was a. Uh, it was an interesting experience for me. Um, now, uh, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, I, as a father, uh, love my two boys more than anything. Uh, I am guilty of that cell phone thing. As a leader, knowing that you got me today on that boat, fired up and and ready to go actually as i remember i actually also caught the thing from going into the i wasn't going to mention that yeah no no you you gotta gotta throw me a bone (laughs) i mean i held on to the end of the marker like like i would that was pretty funny yeah it was it was pretty funny (laughs) give me some advice about about the fact that uh my generation of of fathers are epidemically guilty of not giving their children enough FaceTime? Uh, it's so it's so different right now for you know because my grandson my son's son um, he's actually put the phone down and, and is doing an excellent job. I, I, I kind of hope that maybe I had something to do with that when I raised him, that I, I taught him that this is how you need to be. This is, If you're a, a father, this is what you need to do. This is what you're responsible for, and this is how you got to act because what you show your children is what they're going to show their children. And It's important to make sure. Don't you, you think you, success, hard work, Oh, absolutely! No, absolutely. That's all. That's those are all admirable talents that you want to. But potentially, if it goes overboard, right? Yeah, you can you can have too much. Well, everything with me goes overboard. Everything, and I've admitted that a million times. I uh, when I get into a venture, uh, it's 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 often running. Yeah. Um, I I I thank you so much for being on this podcast, Rowdy. Uh, and I hope it's okay. I called you Rowdy. Absolutely, that is the first time. Right. Uh, but you can continue. Oh, once you break the ice, you know you don't want to. <laughs> don't want to change. Well, that well, it's, that's an honor. And thank you so much. And this is beautiful. And I'm glad neither one of us fell in the canal. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody, thank you so much for episode nine. I keep looking at Camilla and not the camera. Sorry about that. But thank you so much for. for uh, Ah, tuning in to what is an amazing episode and uh, thank you so much and tune in for episode 10.